want you to do that on your way out today. Just have, uh, ask somebody around you, hey, would you just take a picture? Uh, this, uh, we're going to have an actual photographer her, here next week to do that uh, for you and for your family. But uh, we wanted to encourage you to take a picture um, and then upload that to social media and, and just uh, say, hey, uh, uh, we'd love to have you at a red carpet Easter at Troy United Methodist Church in a couple of weeks. Uh, but that, that's a great way that you can uh, roll out the red carpet for others and just extend that welcome and invite others to our Easter worship services, uh, five of them uh, coming up in just two weeks. Uh, but this red carpet fun has been our way of bringing up the biblical theme of hospitality and God's extravagant welcome extended to, to all people, and as well as God's call for God's people, us, the church, to extend that welcome on God's behalf. In, in other words, rolling out the red carpet for each other and for everyone we meet. And here we are, we're in week three of this, uh, this series, and, and this is where we've been so far. In case you're, you're just visiting or you've uh, missed a couple of weeks, uh, here's where we've been. Uh, first, we, we began in week one learning that hospitality isn't just something that, that, that people who are like Martha Stewart's of the world uh, do for others, but that hospitality is actually, uh, actually a central theme of the entire scriptures, and we are uh, 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 meant to extend that hospitality to others. Uh, but, but we see that God has already done that on our behalf, that, that Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, God welcomed each of us um, into his family when we were far from him, when we were strangers. That was God's hospitality toward us. Uh, we have seen how Jesus is our host, uh, welcoming each one of us regardless of how we look, regardless of uh, how religious we are or are not. Uh, regardless of what our background is, what kind of baggage we carry, what we've done in our lives up to that point, or even what we will do in the future, that God welcomes us. Jesus is our host. And last week, uh, oh, one of my favorite messages of all time, we, we saw how when we share meals together, uh, God breaks down barriers, God builds community, and, and Jesus just shows up when we eat together. He is the bread of life. He is the, the, the living water for all who are thirsty. And when we feast on his teachings, we grow and we are sustained in our life. And we also learned that, that when we welcome strangers, we're actually welcoming Jesus. He is not only the host and, and the meal, he's also the guest too. Uh, so as we shift gears from where we've been uh, to where it is that we are going, I'm going to make this assumption. I'm just going to assume that, that if you're here today or, or listening online later, that, that you get it, that, that, that you get the importance of offering hospitality, and that by and large, uh, we're at this point of sincerely desiring to offer hospitality to others. In other words, I'm, I'm just assuming that you are convinced that now, now is the time to seriously consider how to put this into action. And, and this is uh, when most of us start considering in our, in, in our own hearts and minds, wh what is this gonna cost me? To, to have this kind of shift in my life, to really extend the welcome to other people, to offer hospitality, what, what might it cost? What, how much, you might wonder, will offering hospitality to others cost me? Well, maybe a little time, maybe, maybe a little money here and there, maybe, maybe an attitude, heart change. 
um, maybe stretch my comfort zone uh, a little bit. Okay, you might say, that doesn't sound too bad. I might have the margin in my life to offer hospitality in that way. Sign me up, please. Uh, but well, what if I told you that offering hospitality will cost you a lot more than that? Well, what, what if I said offering biblical hospitality will actually cost you a lot of your time? Uh, maybe a significant amount of money, an entire lifestyle change possibly, or a complete abandonment of everything that has been comfortable to you in the past. But what if that was the cost? Would you want to sign up then? What if God's call to extend his welcome to others costs more than you feel like you have to give? What if you don't feel like you have anything left to give? And if you do, that you wouldn't have enough left over for yourself. This is the situation that we encounter in the scripture passage for today. Uh, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of God that we find in the Bible. And his story begins right here in the 17th chapter of the uh, first book of Kings. Uh, And here's a little background for our story. Uh, In the 8th century B.C., so we're talking like 2,800, 2,900 years ago. In the 8th century B.C., Ahab became the king of Israel. Um, And Israel, uh, or Ahab, uh, was uh, throughout the Bible just described as, as uh, although he had a long a longevity, he was a king for 40 plus years, um, even though he was a king for that long, he didn't have such a good reputation in God's eyes. He, he, was, he was a bad king. He, he did not follow God. Uh, and one of the earliest things that he did in his kingship was in order to secure his borders, uh, he, he entered into a marriage covenant with uh, the nation just to Israel's north, Sidon. And he married uh, the, the princess of the king of Sidon, and her name was Jezebel. And, and she was a particularly religious woman. And with her into this marriage covenant, she brought 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Both of these were, were nature gods of of the area. And these prophets became uh, essentially employees of the state of Israel, uh, given full authority granted to them by King Ahab and his queen Jezebel. And, and these prophets, we learn from the, the next chapter, uh, chapter 18, we learn that these prophets had been systematically killing all the prophets of Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. And Elijah was the only one left. He was the only one remaining. And Elijah's story begins in verse 1 of chapter 17, where we hear uh, Elijah uh, casting judgment on God's behalf, casting judgment on uh, Ahab and his reign. And, and, and the, the, the judgment kind of came like this. Because you, you have turned away from God, because you're evil and, and you're wicked, you brought in all of these, these idol-worshiping pro- uh, prophets and they're killing God's people, because of all of this, God is going to close up the heavens and it's not going to rain for many years. There won't be a drop, and, and the entire region will enter into famine. Uh, and if you notice, this is a direct affront to these nature gods that uh, the prophets of Baal and Asherah would be praying to in order to send rain. So this is God exerting his power and authority over all other gods. And, and, and so 
then after, uh, after he casts this judgment, you know, he's fearing for his life. He's, he's going to be running. Uh, Jezebel's going to be chasing him down with, with her prophets. And, and so the Lord sends Elijah, who's on the run for his life, to a remote place, a small brook near the Jordan River in Israel, where God provides for all of Elijah's needs. That is until the brook dries up in the midst of this severe famine. And, and then... Elijah, the last prophet of Yahweh, faces the prospect of starvation. And that's where we pick up in verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Sarapat, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now this passage seems like a pretty decent command. Why would we wonder anything about this? Might as well send him somewhere. Uh, but for ancient readers... When they read this, uh, they, they would immediately understand that Elijah would not have liked this command at all. Uh, in fact, Elijah would be very, very unhappy to receive this particular instruction from the Lord. Here's why. Here's some of the, the background. Serapat, it's not in Israel. Uh, did, you, did you see? Is it, can you put, throw that scripture passage up uh, one more time? Just uh, verse 9. Uh, did you see... Uh, can you see what, what city, what area it's next to, where Sarapat is next to? Sidon. Re remember where, uh, who came from Sidon? Jezebel. Jezebel and all of the prophets who have uh, brought evil and idolatry into Israel. Uh, the one whose government sponsored these prophets to kill, uh, seek out and kill Elijah, who had, they'd already systematically hunted down all the other prophets. Uh, now, now only Elijah remained, and Elijah would have been none too happy to receive instruction to go there. Furthermore, God says, there's a widow there who will provide for you. Uh, now, whenever, whenever a widow is mentioned in the scriptures, uh, we are just supposed to automatically uh, assume that this is someone, that she is someone of the lowest position on the socioeconomic spectrum. Uh, widows were poor. Uh, this was, what isn't always the case in, in today's world, which is a little bit different than, than the ancient world uh, the, of, of this time in the scriptures. Uh, uh, but that's part of what being a widow meant then. Uh, you were likely, if you were a widow in those times, you were destitute. You, you, were, you were poor. You were at the mercy of others. Um, and, and unless that was, uh, unless you had a grown son who had a household of his own and incorporated you into that household. But even then, you're at, at the mercy of, of the men in your life. Uh, so God essentially tells Elijah to leave Israel Leave, leave his place where he's comfortable. Go to enemy territory, and to the home of an idol-worshiping, dirt-poor widow. Oh, and she'll take care of you. <laughs> so Elijah would have been shocked at this command of God's. And we as the readers are supposed to read this little line and be shocked too. In fact, when Jesus, Jesus actually references this story in in the fourth chapter of Luke, right at the beginning of his ministry, he's in his hometown, and he references this story. It's found in verses 25 and 26 of Luke chapter 4, and it really upset those people too. This is what Jesus said. He said, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel during Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. 
He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Seraphat in the land of Sidon. And, and when Jesus mentioned this story, when he made this reference, uh, after hearing that, uh, the Bible says that the devout Jews that were actually in Jesus' hometown hearing this as he was at ushering in his ministry, uh, that they wanted to kill him. They, they didn't want to hear it. It blew their minds that God would care for an outsider, a stranger, even, in this case, a, an enemy. Well, despite Elijah's shock, we see his obedience. He goes. And, and then we have this beautiful story that, that I believe God wants to speak to into our hearts today and really challenge us to grow us, to teach us. Particularly, I believe God wants to teach us about the cost and the blessing of hospitality. The story has five parts, and I encourage you, you can follow along in your message notes. There are a couple of blanks that, that uh, just to kind of keep you on your toes uh, today to fill in. But the first part is God's call, uh, specifically God's call to hospitality. And, and we see this in verses 10 and 11. So he, Elijah, went to Serapat, and he arrived at the gates of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called out to her, oh, bring me a bite of bread, too. Now, this call to hospitality comes from two different angles. Uh, the, the first angle is, is from Elijah's perspective, and I, and I just outlined some of that. Uh, the, the, there is the call of God's people to expand our understanding of who's included, uh, of who God can use, who, who, who to extend hospitality to. Uh, Elijah had some walls in, in his heart that God needed to break down to make room in his theology for people like this widow who were on the outside. Th those people who might seem like part of the problem with the world. God initiates this very meeting. God called Elijah to go to this widow. That was God's call to Elijah for hospitality. But the widow has a call too. Uh, Elijah, through God, gives it to her. Says, hey, lady, give me a drink a and a bite to eat, too. All the audacity. You know, if, if Elijah had a problem going to this region, to this enemy territory, just consider what this widow was experiencing with this prophet of her enemy coming to her. Friends, hospitality is not always easy. It costs it stretches us. It expands our comfort zones. And we're about to see just how much it is going to cost this widow. Part two, the widow's lack. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. We see she knows who Elijah is. The Lord, your God. She, she knows already his reputation precedes him. And maybe there's a little resentment here from her because she likely knows that Elijah is the one who cast this judgment, had God close up the heavens, had the severe drought that, that dried up everything in the region such that her poor destitute state 
was made that much worse. So bad, in fact, that she was preparing her very last meal, the last food that she had. And then she and her only son, her only hope for future provision in life, would die. Part three, God's promise. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. That was God's promise. Now part four, the widow's trust. Just half a verse. So she did as Elijah said. Part five, God's provision. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Not only did the widow and her son survive, but through her trusting hospitality, the last remaining prophet of God survived during the remaining three and a half years of this famine. God's call, the widow's lack, God's promise, the widow's trust, and God's provision. Now, this story is, is really rather simple, uh, but, and its message is really clear. When, when we are faithful to provide hospitality, to extend the table, uh, especially when we're stretched and we don't feel like there is enough left over for ourselves, that's when God provides. When it comes down to it, offering hospitality is an issue of trust. By giving my resources away as a way of extending God's welcome for the benefit of another, will there be enough left for me? Can I trust God to provide for me even when I, when I offer the last that I have for someone else's benefit? Let's make this real for a minute. Just, just kind of go inside yourself for a moment as best you can in this setting. Um, just kind of reflect in your own heart well, what is it maybe that, that, that you are just really holding on tightly to, but possibly unwilling to let go of or sacrifice, something, though, that God may be calling you to extend to someone else? Maybe for you, it's, it's the precious, precious commodity of time. You don't have enough time for everything that you want to accomplish for everything you want to do for yourself, for your family. And yet God is tugging at your heart to make room in your schedule to offer hospitality, to, to maybe open up your home, to, to um, make time to listen to that coworker who's just got a lot of drama in his or her life. Maybe to go out to lunch with, with that friend that you haven't been able to get together with in a long time. Uh, are, are you holding on to your time while God is calling you to, to let go of it for the sake of others, to trust him with it? Maybe for you, it's, it's your money. Uh, letting go and trusting God with your finances is something you just kind of just feel hesitant to, to even go there. Uh, could, could it be a, a particular possession? Maybe you've invested a lot into your home or into your vehicle or to a, a special toy like a boat or something like that. And God is calling you and saying, that's not the most important thing. And, and, and if, if, if I've blessed you with it, maybe you could use it 
to bless others in, in my name. Trust me with it. For you, maybe it's a little less uh, physical. Maybe it's a little more nebulous, like a dream. Maybe you're clutching to a dream, the dream of being married. Maybe the dream of, of having kids or a dream of a particular job or a luxurious retirement. Are you clutching so hard, pursuing that dream so hard that you're missing the opportunities that God already has right in front of you now to be a blessing to others, to serve him right where you're at? He, he's calling you to trust, he's, to trust him even with your dreams. And some of us are holding really tightly to our kids, if we're honest, or, or our dreams for our kids, wanting to provide for them all the things that we didn't have or maybe all the things that we did have that, that they just can't live without. You know, our lives turn into service to our kids sometimes instead of service to God. Maybe God is calling us to trust our kids to him as we extend his table even beyond them in our lives. Maybe for you, it's, it's as simple as clinging to, to your comfort zones, holding on to your preferences, focusing on, on what you like and what you prefer when God wants you to let go and, and be stretched for the sake of others. You know, I've been so proud of our church uh, living out this principle uh, that, that when God calls us to roll out the red carpet to make sacrifices for the sake of of others, making room for more people with low regard to ourselves, that, that we do it. Uh, I, I think of the willingness uh, of the, the service that comes right after this, the sanctuary worshiping service at 1015, that used to be at 1030, the, the willingness that they had to sacrifice uh, their preferences and, and move to back 15 minutes in order to, uh, to make uh, the, help the 1045 worship service that will, will be in here and similar to this service to uh, offer it to uh, more people and allow it to have the best possibility to thrive. That, that was a real sacrifice uh, that, that people made to do that. Uh, people in our church are willing to, to give, and I, I love seeing it. And, and with this Easter coming up very soon, uh, where we'll be rolling out the red carpet to extend God's table to those who maybe are on the outside we have several opportunities to offer hospitality that, that requires some measure of sacrifice. And here are just a couple of ways that, that I'd love to throw out there and just have you consider possibly today. You know, we're, we're expecting to host upwards of around 1,000 people on Easter Sunday. And, and, and that, that means parking is going to start to get kind of tight. Uh, you know what it's like when you leave the 9 o'clock service? It's like, whoa, a little chaotic here park <laughs> and so so i just want to invite you to consider the possibility of of if you are able to park as far away as you possibly can uh if you're not aware of the church we own the softball fields and the parking lots that that come with the the softball fields maybe consider parking as far away as you can on those softball fields and, and then uh, walking in i am going to be praying for great weather uh, for you, uh, uh, but bring an umbrella just in case. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but also with 1,000 people, uh, our prime worship services, 9 a.m. And, and 10.15 up in the sanctuary might be extra full. Uh, maybe some of you would consider, if, even if this is your primary worship service, to, uh, uh, to come a little bit earlier. We have a sunrise service and an 8 o'clock worship service in the sanctuary. Or uh, come later if this is like your preferred style. 10.45 will be uh, the same as 9 o'clock, just with less people probably. Uh, so maybe consider coming a little bit later. Or if that just won't work, at least scoot to the front. Whew, we got some space up here. 
so scoot to the front or scoot, scooch to the middle to make as much room for people. Uh, but, but finally, uh, we are going to have several extra needs in serving on Easter Sunday, particularly in areas of hospitality. Uh, things like ushers and greeters, even parking attendants to help direct some of the, the flow out there, and, and extra folks in children's ministry. Uh, would you be willing to serve even just one Sunday, even just that Sunday? Maybe you attend this service and you'd be willing to, to serve in the following hour after that, or you'd come early for an hour in order to serve, uh, to attend this worship service, uh, to roll out the red carpet for others. If so, uh, we, can, we can find a good spot for you, even for just one Sunday. If you want to mark that, if you're willing to mark that on your connection card and put that in the offering when it comes by during our final song, uh, we, we will find a good space for you. It might go something like this. Oh, please don't make me shake people's hands, but I can watch kids. Uh, I, or, or just the opposite for some of us. Uh, but, uh, but mark something like that down. We, we will follow up with you um, and, and thank you in advance. But, but I know that God wants to grow our hearts for others, uh, even when it costs us. And here's the crazy thing, the, the very difficult thing. You know, God doesn't just call us to give until it's uncomfortable. God calls us to give all of ourselves, even if necessary to the point of death. And to trust God even then. And that's what the widow did. And she made her last meal and gave it away. And when we trust God like that, when we let go of control and trust God, that's when, that's when God does the miracle. That's when God miraculously provides. And you've heard me correctly through this entire message. Trusting God and extending the table of God to others is not without sacrifice. In fact, if you read on in this uh, story, despite her blessing, and the provision that God made for her family, um, the widow's son dies. And when she's at the lowest of lows, that's her whole future. Everything for her. When she's at the lowest of lows, even in the depths, God provides a resurrection. You know, you and I, we can trust God, even with the most important things in our lives. We can trust God to meet our needs even when we sacrifice those things that we love for others. But we can trust God because God, in order to welcome us, God didn't even spare his only son. Do you see that? Do you see the parallels here? Do you see how God, at great cost for himself, to himself, gave his only son so that you and I might be welcomed at his table? Welcomed into his family, even though we were estranged from him because of what the Bible says, uh, you know, because of our sin. The Bible even describes us as God's enemies. But he gave to the point of death so that, so that we could be welcomed. So we can trust God to provide as we extend God's welcome to others, even though it'll stretch us, even though we'll likely experience pain, possibly even the death of something that we love in the process. We can trust God because through Christ, through, through the cross, we will experience rebirth. We can experience even resurrection. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a couple weeks away. Uh, so let, let, let's pray together.
Uh, Lord, you are stretching us. You're, you're expanding our hearts to extend the table of your grace and hospitality to those around us. And we confess that we are uncomfortable. And, and in our lack, we have, at times, uh, considered holding back. But through your word, we hear your promise and we see your example of radical hospitality of great, at great cost to yourself. The cost of Jesus, your only son. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us to have the courage to trust you as we step out of our comfort zones to welcome others in the name of Jesus who first welcomed us. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the empty tomb that reminds us that even when we pour ourselves out completely to others, you offer us new life. Remind us of this when we feel like we have nothing left to give. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.